Hello, listeners, and happy Ides of March in what has become our annual Community Action Update premiere day. This is Independent Shakespeare Company Ensemble member and Artistic Associate for Social Justice, Karen E. Rose Mecker-Tichon speaking, and I am so, so, so happy to be back with a big, juicy Community Action Update centering arts education and access. In this episode, I interview ISC Ensemble member and arts educator Lavelle LeKeegan and Caitlin Lanoff, who has designed many of your favorite ISC production sets. We begin today's episode with a fun joint interview with Monica Horn Rosenthal, who recently graced our ISC studio stage in the fall production of Happy Days, and Jackie Lopez, aka Miss Funk, co-founder and artistic director of VersaStyle Dance Company. Thank you so much, Monica and Jackie, for joining me, for taking the time to join me today after you have had a very busy <laughs> week, weekend, months, year. <laughs> I wanted us to, to just start off for our listeners who may not be familiar with you or your work, if you all could just tell us a little bit about yourselves, give us a little intro whoever would like to start first miss funk take it away hi everybody my name is jackie lopez but in the dance street dance world i'm known as miss funk it's like a rite of passage to get these akas you know and i'm like you know i'm gonna adopt that name (laughs) so i've been rocking it out for like 18 years uh born and raised in los angeles Uh, my parents are from el salvador so i'm a first generation in every way possible and uh first to graduate high school go to college Fast forward now, uh, I am the co-founder and co-artistic director of Versa Style Dance Company. Um, and also I'm a lecturer at UCLA's uh, dance department and I've been building the hip hop and street dance curriculum there for about 10 years now, which uh, again, yeah. it, it'll all connect once we go a little deeper, you know, in the sense of how everything unfolded and why. Uh, but it's just good to be here. I like to like, I wear multiple hats. I'm an artist, dancer, choreographer, but also a bad, cool administrator. (laughs) Navigate this like landscape of arts and what that means. So learning how to write grants, looking at budgets, looking at things administratively that are things that our schools are not built for us, you know? So I like to talk about that too, because not only are my dancers just dancers, but we're administrators and we're moving this machine based on whatever comes our way. And I've known Monica Rosenthal, who you'll get to know soon. Since I was 16 or 17 and our men, you know, it started as a mentee-mentor relationship, now full-blown colleagues, uh, really impacting the youth of Los Angeles in the best ways that we know how with our, I'm going to say with our own superpower of love, you know, I think Mm -hmm. we need to talk about that love as well as much as we can. So that's my short intro. I hope it was short, but. That was fabulous. Concise. (laughs) That could be your new hip hop name, Concise. As Jackie said, we met when she was 16 because when I, and my background is I came from a suburb of of Philadelphia. Um, I went to Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, always had some form of arts in my school. Um, But because there was a publicly funded arts program in in our town, Upper Darby Summer Stage, Uh, which was close to my high school, I started being able to do plays and 
create a community, become part of a, of a community in the summers. And because of that community and because of having access to performing in that way and just, you know, learning, just spending every summer getting to do really fun, great theater, that like really informed how I went on with my life. And in fact, it's the reason I went to college because back in the day, because I was born in aught eight. No, 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 no. I was born in 1963, but still socioeconomically where I grew up, the girls weren't going to go to college because there was only enough money to send the boys to college. That was kind of the thinking back then. And, uh, but I was able to go to college because I was able to audition and get scholarships and work and do all that and just change the thinking of my family a bit. And so I always credited the arts with also access for uh, higher education. So fast forward, my, one of my best friends from that, those theater days was a guy named Kevin Kane who became a teacher at Marshall. And right around the same time, we were having success in show business. My husband created the show, Everybody Loves Raymond. And I was in that show. We had been doing theater years before that. We, we always expected to be starving artists, but then mm. we got lucky <laughs> with, a, with a syndicated television show. And then we were able to support others. And so what we learned from having a friend that taught at Marshall was that even in Los Angeles, even, you know, in this creative capital of the world, it was not a given that you had arts in your school. And then we learned it was really determined by what zip code you grew up in and where your public school was. And that's when we learned about the inequity in Los Angeles, aside from just the ludicrous, you know, decision that had been made back in the 70s uh, due to tax cuts and all this stuff that they the schools weren't being funded for the arts. So yes. we thought that comes from the private sector then. And we now all of a sudden were the private sector that could identify the problem and had some resources to address the problem. And then we had access to people who were actually working within that system. So though that combo is what really started my engagement and so like Jackie says, I saw Jackie on stage in one of those plays, in one of those programs that we were supporting um, along with the school district, the school district in Marshall, you know, when you went to Marshall, Karen, yeah. you, did you have a pretty decent access to well, art? Actually, unfortunately, no. So mm -hmm. I, I had gone to a different high school earlier in a suburb of Chicago for a few years. Me and my mom lived there. And then when I came back to LA, I went to Marshall and I wasn't able to take like, to be a part of like this, the school play, you had to basically choose one extracurricular oh. that was in a class in school because they didn't have funding for after school programs. So even uh, I had at my other school been on the soccer team as well, I would have had to choose. And of course I chose drama. So I was able to do our drama class and that was with uh, the late, great Mr. Friss. Oh, yeah. Yes. I love so much. Um, 
And I was able to do like stand-up comedy in his class. And we did The Last Days of Judas Iscariot. And I was was in it and also got to assist and direct it. So that was wonderful, but it had to be tied to our in-school work. And then we had like the shows that were after school, but there wasn't funding to keep the school open much later for us. So all of our extracurriculars were in school actually. And that that wasn't that long ago. Yeah. It's funny that you said that because Kevin Kane is the one who, you know, found it. Well, it started with Carolyn McKnight. There used to be a teacher at John Marshall High School. Her name is Carolyn McKnight. She started like the drama theater program. Then Kevin Mm -hmm. Kane, which is Monica's best friend at the time, like, you know, he came in. And he started his theater workshop series. And I was a part of that experience. And that for sure, hands down, changed my life. I was a drill team girl. or But ah. it wasn't enough for me to like want to go to school, you know, due to circumstances. Um, but Kevin King was that teacher. And then fast forward, Kevin King got an opportunity to then get his master's and go to UCLA. And Mr. Frisk took over that program, you know. Yeah. So just a sidebar. My husband and I were in a comedy group with Jack Frist and Elizabeth <gasps> Dennehy and all that. In oh, the it's 80s. Betty, that's right. In the I 80s. love these connections. Yeah. So when Jack took over at one point, we we did kind of reach out to him to see, you know, but but because the program that we had worked on, we'd been such a part of for so long at Marshall, he really wanted to create his own because you know, what Kevin had created at, at Marshall, it's called, you know, it, it really was a program that grew from like 13 people the first year to hundreds of kids. Yeah, hundreds. And we're talking devised shows where, I mean, Jackie, you can explain it. You got to create your own. It was, it was almost like this experience that Monica was talking about how you were creating scripts based on people's lives and real experiences. So Kevin just had an ear to really like connect and hear our lives and what that was and bring it into this form of performance, you know? And in the, in the midst of that also educate us about things like Shakespeare or different plays, you know, that I wasn't even exposed to at the time. I had no idea, you know? So um, it was a good way to like educate us, but at the same time, how do we connect with it? So it was all dance. It was dance, acting, and singing. It was like musical theater almost, like his version of like a John Marshall Broadway, I felt like. And it's, wow. it's true what he said. It started with like 10 students and uh, the first year. And by the time he left, we he had one period because exactly, Marshall, you're right. The classes are in school, right? Yeah. One class was his theater workshop and the rest were his English classes because he was an English, the English teacher. By the time he left, he stopped even teaching English all six periods for theater workshop. The crossovers there. It's funny how Monica has this huge history with Kevin and then Frisk, you know, and I remember all that. And separate. They were separate histories too, right? Because that was Kevin Kevin was high school, college. And then Jack was when we moved to the city and we, you know, all were part of this comedy group. And then everybody came to LA. Yeah. Yeah, And and you mentioned also Miss Dennehy, who's also uh, a board member. Uh, I know she's the one who introduced me to Melissa and you guys because and and I met and that's a crossover with Kevin because we all met my sophomore I met her my sophomore year of college and we've been best friends ever since too wow yeah I love this that's that's amazing see it is it really is such a a small world yeah and when you navigate when you when you when you keep on a track you know and I think 
what was a unique about that group of people and Elizabeth Dennehy, Kevin Kane, that they also were educated. You know, they were very yes. devoted. Jack Frith. I was never an educator, but I had this, uh, when I saw that program, I was just like, you know, I related more. I didn't relate to the teachers. I related to the students. <laughs> I felt like one of the students. Ah. <laughs> and that's why Jackie and I, you know, and, I, and, and that kind of helped with our work, I think, moving forward. Someone described our relationship as horizontal. I thought that was really interesting because we've always been colleagues. You know, we've never, I, I feel like even early on when you were so young and I was so young, <laughs> that, but, but we were in such different stages of life, you know, and, and dealing with very, very different challenges. But it was strange in that we just, but but the, we felt more we had we felt more in common than we did absolutely separate. and our lens was always sick. so that's why we've been able to partner so well together yeah. um and, yeah, and Jackie's and a leader in the I mean you'll hear you know the people that she's brought in to the group what were you gonna say Jackie no but I I was gonna say that comes from you too Monica like I think there's you, you say you're not in, you know, you were not in the education system, let's just say, but there's just so much you have taught us or taught me in the sense where Monica really just brought this essence of colleagueship within an organization, you know, because though I'm running this nonprofit organization, I adopted what's been passed on from our forefathers in this country. And these nonprofits are, you know, uh, it's tricky to sustain and for various ways. <clears throat> I feel recently Versa style has kind of shifted in this dramatic way to sustain, not just as an organization, but as people, because then forget this model of like power, you know, it's like, how can we all just bring our geniuses to the table, you know? And Monica, really, you're the one who taught me that because she was one of the few that anytime if I was in a meeting with her back in the, even back when I was way younger and it was her and Kevin, she always wanted to know what I was thinking. Well, what are you thinking? What? And I, it always just made me feel like, Oh, I'm seeing uh, she well she, because what you were thinking was needed. You know, like that's the thing I do think gets yeah. missed so often. I guess you know what a lot we, of miss that though. I know and that, that's you know? why nonprofits tricky because yeah. I feel like you know I, it becomes like no, let me be the expert and solve the problem that you're experiencing when you're the one who's in the midst of it. You have all the hands on in the field. <laughs> And the, and the same thing with the schools, you know, like when the, they would have the district, you know, how how many teachers and students were there informing of what would actually work in each different, you know, culture, basically, because it's such a segregated city when you get down to it, that yeah. it's like, oh, absolutely. One size, one size yes. does not fit all. Just open no. your eyes and acknowledge what's real and address the problem from that. Yeah. Oh, yes. All of this, all of this. Uh, just we've already touched on it a little bit, but taking a step back and, and going a little deeper, I, I would love to know more about how your artistic identity translated into working for nonprofits, into philanthropy, into the way that you all have so incredibly given back to your community and given back to artists and, and taken that education that you were given and, and shared it with others. 
and and work together to do it. Jackie, I think you will say. I mean, does it ever feel like you're giving back? It does. It, here, that's an always that's always an interesting thing because a lot of people have said that to me particularly. You know, because of this construct of philanthropy and you know giving back and you know someone has so much of it. It never felt like that. It just felt like participating. We all participate in different mm. ways, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not giving back. It's like showing up with what you have, but you know, what you have is not better. It, 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 there's no there's no way to put a value judgment. It's just it's just what I'm showing up with, right? But yes. what Jackie is showing up with, Ernie would show up with. I mean, every person that we work with we were able to hold a space right for everybody to come in and identify does it mean that everybody who participated in the program or everybody who goes to friday night you know class or whatever or participates in a program is going to be a leader in that way or even want to be exactly. but 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 jackie had a gift i think of nurturing and being able to identify and then i think to get uh, who had those strengths and then together, we were able to create something that hold, held a place for something to incubate and grow and individuals too. Does it, you know, we've had people go through some really hard times. Who doesn't go through a hard times? People go through hard times. So mm -hmm. if an infrastructure is set up so rigidly to not allow for when you're down, I'm up, we're, I'll do this, you do that. Like, but you, in order to be able to have that kind of flow, you've got to have relationship. You've got to have communication. You can't be, you know, you, you, you've got to have system. You have to have some, you have to have discipline. You have to have a structure, but that structure has to allow for human interaction, relationship. And we're lucky, Jackie and I, that kind of came naturally to us, right? Yeah, you said it, Monica. I mean, I'm like, you're getting a taste of Monica there, Karen. -y. Yeah, I know. I'm like, yes, I'm like all of this. Everything that she said, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, if I think back to high school, honestly, I had no idea where my path or what was every everything that it was going to lead to. I had no idea that I would be where I am right now. All I know in that sense, I was just very true to my love for the arts the love for dance, my love for music, my love for people, my love for community, my love for family, like your love for your son and my love for my son. You know, I was 20 years old when I had that boy, you know, so he's a young man now, just so you know. Oh, and so an cool. amazing, I'm dead, but I'm he's 22. <laughs> I love that. I love that. You part of the team. He is part of the team. There is. Is. That's always, I'm not, I'm a, I'm a man now. <laughs> but anyways, um, no, everything Monica said was on point, but I, I guess I just say that all that to say, I never thought that my life would be to this nonprofit sector, educational sector. I really didn't know yet. I think I, I, and I think that, believe it or not, has been probably also part of my success to some point. You know, I get a lot of folks interviewing us now, like, how did you create VersaStyle? What's, why did you do that? And how, what was the plan? I'm like, mm, there was never really a plan. It's not like Lee and I, my husband, who's also the co-founder and my best friend, you'll meet him one day. Oh, he also went to Marshall High School, just to let you know. I'm living I, for all this Marshall High. Oh, Marshall High. Gotta I'm just, sure I'm just a huge this. fan and colleague. He's a colleague. But right, I love my Breezley. Yes, he's amazing. Really gifted human, just like Very his wife. Gifted. But people are like, how did you create this entity? You know, And I'm just like, you know, I never wrote it. But what I did have 
is an eye for what was needed at the moment. You know, like I, you know, versus style, the dance company, it was created because Lee and I would go to Philadelphia to be part of another dance company with Rennie Harris. And I'm like, why doesn't that exist in LA? Why is there not a hip hop street dance company in Los Angeles? Hey, Lee, you want to do versus style? <laughs> I just, it, it's an intuition where, where is there a need? And also not sometimes not feeling the need to start something from scratch or something innovative yeah. new. It's just what's the need? And eventually you find your village and people who believe in you in that moment, you know? So uh, I feel like I just have developed that skill as far as possible and still pay attention to what's needed and having conversations and engaging and sometimes minimizing programs because it's too much. And what does this mean? And it's just always being in conversation, knowing what's the need in the communities and within the people that work with your organization, you know, so. I'll just leave it at that because this could be a complex, huge question in a whole other way, but no real plan. I think instinct for what's needed based on my experiences too. I'm an LA native. I am like in the field with yes. my people seeing what's going on. And I just happen to have some incredible partners and colleagues that get it. And that's and where you my- value what they bring to the table. Oh, I, I find-, find a lot, you know, because of the, you know, people have scarcity mentality or, you know, insecurity, fear, and you, what you miss then, because you're not looking for that end goal. We didn't go to this saying, oh, we're going to create the best arts program. Like it wasn't about that, but boy, did I hear that a lot growing up. I was involved in an arts organization, um, a very good one, and I'm not going to name it because it does a lot of really great work. But man, the amount of board meetings I had to sit through, listen to people say, nobody is doing what we do. And I, I raised my hand and go, well, I, I think there are a lot of people doing it. Everybody takes a lot of people doing a lot of things to solve a problem. I love that. But I hated that freaking ego crap of like, mm. but that has nothing to do with the work and that has nothing to do with the organization. Uh, you know, there's no one program, no, no one gifted leader. You know, Father Greg Boyle will be the first one to say it. You know what I mean? It's about, Yes, you have a magnetic person or you have a, someone with a lot of money or you have someone with a big idea, but what really is making that thing work is a lot of other things that aren't getting enough attention. And I think that's where, you know, Jackie immediately with the, with the young people and the young people saw it too, that they said, oh, this is a place where I'm going to invest my time. You know, I'm going to invest my life. Yes, <laughs> I'm, that's how you know. Yes, because they felt they knew they were valued they didn't just feel valued they they were valued everybody's oh. just rolling up your sleeves getting it done nobody's trying to feel valued or feel seen you are seen and you are valued and you're part of you're participating in a way that's valuable and you know i feel like there's just been a lot of really good people that when i say good people there are a lot of good people out there but but people who have that kind of balanced sense of self to be able to show up and work with other people and not have it turn into something else. I, I love that so much because, and I, and I love you, Jackie, bringing up as well, like looking at the needs, looking at what the community needs, because I feel like with a lot of, as someone who's also like work, works in arts education in a lot of different institutions and spaces, you can tell, you can just tell the uh, organizations that really are centering the community and centering the community's needs and listening and listening to what the needs are and yeah. just showing up in that way. How can I support? How can I add? How can I uplift? As opposed to 
institutions that might be more like, actually, I think this is what this community needs. I think this is what these people need. So I'm going to do what I think is best and put this on them. And, mm -hmm. and it tends to be very like product focused as yeah. opposed to process focused. And yes, all of like that. to see it. They like to read about it. I mean, ooh, the bigger the institute, they, they, they like their buzzword. They like their thing that they can show their people that are giving. It's very complex. I mean, I have a lot of sympathy for everybody. I'm coming from a very, you know, privileged place where I'm not having to get the approval from everything. So I think there are a lot of great people working in those yeah. constructs and infrastructures for different reasons, but it is tough. It makes it tough. It makes it hard to navigate. Especially when I was younger. Now, as I've gotten older, I'm totally in my in my own power in a different way. Not power trip, but like, how do we change the narrative and how yeah. these structures work? How and are we? We're clearer, much faster, right? Yeah. We see it so much faster. And then I think then, like you and I then had it. Now those young people, because of you being their model, they have it right away too. There's no question. They're not falling for that. You know, oh, should I be? Exactly. Yes, sing in a certain way. It's tough, especially when you're starting out and, and you have to worry about, like you mentioned, things like grants and mm -hmm. and showing all of these people, hey, this is why the work we do is valuable and they need, like, you know, to quantify it. And yeah, it's it's hard. arts, it's like, how do I quantify the impact that I'm having? Especially, we all know sometimes something hits a youth or a student in a certain way and you might not see how it impacts them but it does and it might come a month later a year later a decade later but it it does come and, and have an impact yeah, yeah. that's right totally so, agree girl totally yeah. Yeah. just have to we have to just make sure that there's more of us that are out there to get like what cooper union the other night jackie like once that place is filled and it's just going to take the work of bridging communication. And I think, uh, you know, when I first was introduced to um, independent Shakespeare, that I got that same feeling from mm. everybody who was participating, everybody was there, everyone who showed up, who was working when it came to see your work, Karen,y it was incredible. And uh, I just thought, wow, this is a place that's, you know, it's coming from within the people who are the who are actually doing the work. So the work, yeah. You you already started to talk a bit about versus style. I know that you all just had a very big week. I would love to to know more about what's been going on, what's happening, also how people can support versus style. Yeah. And I also really, really love that you call your teaching artists artivists. That's a term that I love and use as well because I very much believe that art and activism are interconnected. So I would love to know a little bit about that too. Yeah, um, the choice was amazing. Um, it's been a real, uh, now I'm, on, I'm in this mode where I'm like, wow, that just happened, surreal, right? Uh, come to find out when we go to the Joyce, we're like the first West Coast hip hop dance company they've presented, you know? Uh, so I was like, wow, we're still in those times, right? And because hip hop is now hip hop and street dance is now navigating its way to be presented in many theaters and, you know, being in curriculum for universities. But you got to know, you know, Karen, this is all new. Like when I went to UCLA, hip hop didn't even exist. 
I had total imposter syndrome. Like, why the heck am I here? I cannot do ballet or modern. Not that I couldn't do it. I just, my mom could never afford it. I wasn't exposed yeah. to it. I didn't have that experience. So, um, but yeah, to be, to be able to be at the Joyce Theater and perform a whole week, it was a new experience for us. Usually when we're presented at theaters, it's like one night or two nights, but to have seven shows in a row, it was kind of a shock maybe to all of us. By the fourth day, we're like, wow. <laughs> uh, but again, to be able to share the West, you know, the, the, the Los Angeles street dance perspective lens, because New York is the birth of hip hop in many ways, um, in, in how it grew and how it, you know, became global now in many ways. Um, but I would say for the Joyce, my favorite day was when we had like a talk back after one of the shows, because people are able to have an experience with our show. It's called Free Mind Freestyle, where we're really like digging deep and facing our own fears. And what does that look like, you know, and what is it to really be free? Um, and that question could unfold in many ways. And all through dance, right? So that's even harder and a whole other way to portray these motifs and gestures and what does it mean? Uh, but I share the talk back because it, it was just good for people to get a sense of who we are. And I'm just really owning it. Like they just see this dance company. Oh, and once we start talking, they're just blown away, right? Like in another way, like, wait, these guys are, I don't, I don't know what they're assuming, but they're probably just like, wow, they're very intelligent. They got a lot to say. <laughs> that's what I'm assuming, you know, and to be able to talk about recently, I've been really navigating this, this narrative of saying that Versus Style is a cultural institute of its own in Los Angeles. Like, and I would have never thought that 10 years ago. That's right. You know, and that we are representative of our people and, you know, from mm. East LA, from South LA to San Fernando Valley, representing the black and brown bodies that really need to be represented and what we have to share and do. And, and then uh, when we were speaking, that's when the artistic director's like, you know, you're, you're the first West Coast hip hop that we've had. We always usually have Rennie. I'm like, yeah, that was <laughs> Rennie Harris is amazing. He set the bar, but like there are plenty of artists. Um, so it was just a very emotional, beautiful, surreal experience, you know, to be a kid from the inner city who went to John Marshall High School, you know, hey. and <laughs> to then be at a, a very well-known theater that presents concert dance in New York. That's what they're known for. That's why the Joyce is so special there. They present all year, nothing but dance. So that also makes it really special. Other theaters present musicals or, you know, concerts or whatever that is. Um, they're very focused on dance, but to have Versa style finally in the same bill as Rennie Harris and Batsheva. Who doesn't know about Batsheva? They're from Israel, like the amazing dance company. And it was surreal to see us in the same bill. Like we did it, you know, and the cover was like Brandon, this beautiful black Filipino artist in the air. Crumper. Yes. You know, again, those are the dreams. Like these are the visuals of what people need to see, you know? So um, that's been like the mission. So for people to relate to us and have real aspect that if they see me, you know, my goal has always been to inspire the next, full-figured Latina young girl that thought she can never dance and letting her know, guess what? You can dance. I've been dancing all these years, you know? So, um, but that was the Joyce experience. But at the end of the day, we're a nonprofit organization running for 18 years now. With, of course, with the love and support of amazing, you know, <clears throat> mentors and colleagues like Monica Rosenthal, the Family Foundation. Uh, they've been by our side since day one. You know, I've always to put Monica on the spot, I'd always say she's like my angel donor, but not just that, like our angel, like 
she shows up, you know, she's even changed that narrative. Like so many, there is a lot of foundations out there and stuff that give, but they don't show up. <laughs> and this woman just did her own play for three weeks and still came out to New York to come see us, you know, like. Well, I mean, about. that feeds my soul. Like that's the yeah. thing though. It's not, it's because, I mean, it's so re uh, reciprocal. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's what theater is, right? That's why we love live theater. Like you're here, I'm here. This thing is going on. We're all getting something out of it in a different way. Like we want people to have the fun that we have, right? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Like, I love that. <laughs> but yeah, but at the end of the day, it's just been an honor uh, from being a dance company. We're also an, uh, an organization that's very passionate about education, you know, and really even shifting that, these systems of what they would teach mm. us in schools mm. and to mm. be able to bring the arts and specifically hip hop and street dance to curriculum. Like it's desperately needed because these are the like, hip hop is the art of our generation. This is what kids are doing. There's not one TikTok video that you open and doesn't have now like a hip hop song of some kind, oh, right? Yeah. A hip hop artist. So, I, you know, for us to be able to like, we're right now at seven schools. At one point, at one point we were at 13 schools, but this is now me like coming back because it's about, mm. about impact too and what that means and how do we sustain from the teachers to the students. And but to be at these seven schools and be able to bring a full-on hip-hop street dance curriculum where like it develops into performances and dance teams and these kids are getting a full-on immersed experience of street dance and hip-hop in ways that is needed. And it just doesn't exist yet. We're like getting, we're getting a lot of opportunities to go into different schools and institutions to teach in that way. And I also take a lot of pride in that, you know, it's been part of the work, not it just. It has to be the culture too, right? I mean, the, it, it, and by showing up, even if it's small schools, right? It's, yeah, some of them are small, some of them are as, big. As they're trying to like eradicate, you know, history, you know, of people of color. This is yeah, the culture yeah. of people of color. And mm -hmm. and and that general who was the MC that spoke Jackie at the Baba the, Israel? Yeah. Baba. And when he was saying that, like, you know, the culture that that it, he had such a great way of putting it, I'm butcher it. If you if we can find a quote or maybe something yeah, from yeah, that, yeah. because it really does apply to this. And that's why it needs to become as it just can't, it has to become part of a movement. And that's why having a presence like Jackie, yes, it's very important what we're able to do in those small, in those schools, but bridging when she goes out and when Versus Style goes to New York, when they go to the Cooper Union, when they show up at Jacob's Pillow, having that present and then the next generation Versus Style Next Generation, which you can talk about maybe in a second, that it, it's the mission goes even deeper than just celebrating this form of dance, especially because of the moment that we're in where people want to rewrite history or exclude history or exclude the fabric of the country. I mean, this is a huge, it goes back to that nonprofit. It's not, it's a piece of it. It's already here. It's already there. Why are we not seeing it? And why not, is it not celebrated? Well, we all know why, <laughs> but, but we're going to keep, you know, at it for that reason as well. It's another little, you know, inspire, you know, what inspires us to keep going with this work. Yeah, so. exactly. So yeah, but that's just a quick sense of who we are, what we do, you know, and yeah, people want to learn more about Versus Style. They could go to versusstyledance.org, you know, and not from donations. We need support in every way from folks showing up, 
folks that are curious about this dance and our organization and education and you know, just to take it back to artivists, you're right. It's arts and activism all in one. Yeah, I'm doing street dance and hip hop, but I'm also educating folks about our narratives and our stories and what's needed and what's the call to, you know, what's the call in this moment? What do we need? I'm speaking not just for myself, but like communities that are in desperate need. And the minute we do that, that's complete activism of other folks and their narratives and their stories. Cause these things are not taught in schools, you know? Um, yeah. and we can even go deep with that. You, you hear everything that's going on right now and how they're trying to like erase that history and what should be taught and what this, mm -hmm. and the reason I even have that little love or knowledge with history, cause my son now he's, a, he majored with history at UCLA and, and it's, it took a village to raise this boy, but what's beautiful, like how one generation could change a complete, like everything yes. live compared to mine is like night and day, you know, like complete. But it was very intentional in how I spoke to him, how I was how connected with him. What what should he do? What how, how could I support him? And now he's this young Latino brown man doing his own work with incarcerated youth. Like I would have never thought. Now he's teaching at three three different juvenile detention centers, and all through hip hop and dance. And his re recent story was like, Mom, I had this incredible experience because out of like all these students, all these, you know, young art, you know, young incarcerated youth that is there. I had eight of them get up and dance with us. Yes. That's a big number. Like that is a big number in there. Huge. They're hurt. But the minute they hear that Zapp and Roger song, they're like, Whoa, Hey, that's that, that song. Oh. And then Leo's like, well, you know, this is, these are, these are our lived experiences, man. And that he's, he says he took pride in like, lifting up his shirt and be like, we're all the same color. Like we all got something to say and how do we like together empower each other. And I just had different circumstances, but that's why we're here. And he got eight mm. guys dancing with him. But at the end of the day, that's the power of dance, like specific also music and dance, right. You know, being even intentional with what you put on. Um, I think it just speaks to people. It, it moves us, you know, because I saw it with adults. At, yeah. the, at the Homeboy Arts Academy. And, you know, uh, we love Homeboy. Yeah. And I have, you know, that's the thing. We have such a great network of people who are really engaged in the communities and, and all different communities. And that's that's why you engage with these people because then we have access to each other. And the, and the, but seeing Cynthia, you know, the, the dance is different than any other form, like the music, the brilliant play, theater, all of it. But when you bring dance to, you know, our bodies need to be in touch. We need to be in touch with our bodies that way, which is why it's so hard for people who have had to be, to survive, shut down and disassociate from their body. So when you're asking them to dance, you're asking for a vulnerability that is really deep. But if you can get it, it's so immediate. Like, it's like such a quick, it's, it's such an instantaneous like uh, a fat, like you, the benefit is there immediately. What if you can just get over that hump, right? And I watched Cynthia, man, it was amazing because these guys were like, they were not gonna move, right? And you just see even that, like all the protective gear that's in place. But at once people start moving, you're a child again. And then you're, you know, you're human and you're soft and it, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. So to have Cynthia be able to do that, a woman, right? 
to have a young man be able to do that. I mean, all everybody needs to show up and, you know, and, and I think that's why another reason why Versus Style is so great, because these just aren't amazing artists. They're artivists, but they're also like community members, like they're in there with people doing it, which is why we like theater, because we're in there with the people and we do it. But this is on a whole other level and it's really beautiful. I love that you said that when when you move, you're a child again, because I, I feel like we see that so much in movement, in the arts, like even in, in theater, I always say I, I have the easiest time when I'm teaching like little little kids with mm. theater activities because they'll just be free. They don't care. They don't have all of those pressures from society and all of those, you know, ways that we try to shield ourselves from opening up or, or yeah. just all the know, trauma what we yeah. feel saying what we want to yeah. say and letting our voices be free and all of yeah. that so i i love that because there's so much i feel like there's so much we can always learn from from children and from our youth and i don't know where we as a society got to the place where it's just like they have nothing they have nothing to teach us we can't i don't know <laughs> but it's really you know and also not listening to children and and not prioritizing in, in, the, in the right way. I just finishing doing this play doubt, you know, mm -hmm. which is a really tough material, you know, oh. and it deals with, you know, the, they say potential abuse of a, of a child from a pillar of society pedophile, which is a very dangerous type of pedophile. And, and they're all dangerous, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's just so insidious and so hard to, and it works on so many levels. And I thought to myself, man, this, these plays and everything about you, always, the Sandusky trial at Penn State, you always hear all about the adults and what are we going to do to punish the adult? What, is gonna, what are we going to do to punish society? What are we going to do? They're a monster. No, they didn't do it. They're a victim. Nobody's talking about the children. And nothing is set up for those, you know, for that healing from that kind of trauma because it's people just want to, shut it away so it goes hand in hand with all of that mm -hmm. you know oh, yes. but, and that stuff doesn't go away and so when you have people sitting there like this not wanting to move they've got pretty good reason well, yeah. yeah and there there's so much trauma that's held in the body and yeah. and um it, it's a protection thing as well especially in like i also teach in with incarcerated youth as well and it's a it's a protection it's definitely like and it's one of those things it's a safety thing it's like listen i know you have no reason to necessarily believe that i am here for you but i will be here in whatever capacity i can mm -hmm. and i will support you in however you are ready to open up that's why it's always like we always pose as an invitation right as mm -hmm. opposed to you need to do this yeah that's not, that's not the job. Well, and that's not what the space we should occupy and that's right really and jackie maybe you can speak to that a little bit too because now that we've even touched into when you do work in a community that you know is marginalized in any way and then you know you're dealing sometimes with trauma that could be beyond your skill set but you're doing these things that can touch on and open up that kind of stuff you just recently talked about that, right? Like we, we've been very fortunate, I think, with a lot of this stuff, especially with the UCLA uh, theater workshop or the summer intensive, because mm -hmm. there's never really been anything in place to address if there's a real concern. Um, 
but as because we are talking about arts education and there's a responsibility that comes when you're using when art is allowing people to access these feelings in it's not in every situation it's not in every even school maybe i mean i could probably find someone in every school but but that is a responsibility that we have to be aware of it's not just oh draw a picture you're going to feel better or dance and it's going to be okay so we have to i think we take that very seriously with versus style and even with the other programs that we did we knew we had to keep our eyes open if it was getting out of our skill set or yeah. who do we communicate and not even wait till that happens just have some kind of infrastructure in place should something arise that needs to be addressed and that's you know but that goes also to mental health and yeah yeah. And luckily now we're talking about these things more. Ten years ago, this didn't even exist in this way. You yeah. know, at one point I felt like I was a social worker, a therapist, a, a mom, a teacher, uh, <laughs> everything. Uh, yeah. It's not sustainable either, you know, for right. me and what that meant. So then how do we bring in folks that are really involved in that kind of work, you know, where they also are being heard and felt like they could express themselves in ways that doesn't also pull me apart in different ways. Cause that, that, that's real. And at the end of the day in the black and brown communities and just in human, I mean, now I'm at this point, like human, just a human being, we're all pain bodies at this point too. Like the suffering of everything that's happened, but yes. with the social uprisings in 2020 COVID girl, something switched in our communities, you know, and mm. the pain and you see it, you know, and, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm fortunate that we're able to bring these programs into schools, into communities, because I know at least for that moment, we're, structure. you know, there's something that we could provide. I love the structure, but but it's 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 a lot of work. It's years. <laughs> Look at me. And, it's yeah, a lifetime. We're exhausted. It's a lifetime of work, you know. I just experienced it in New York. I was talking to one of our pioneers, and he was talking about, like, how the hip-hop community needs to hash things out first. And it's true, like... Monica, that was amazing. Yeah. Well, I could tell his pain too. And this man's 10 was, years older than me, you know, and I'm like, wow, I get it, you know. And I love that was there for it too. Like she's this, you know, white lady on the other end listening to him and like, yeah, but <laughs> was needed. And I think that's where I think Monica, you could write your own book on that because she's always down for the conversation. Like, no matter how yes. comfortable it is, she's always been down. Not everybody's down. <laughs> a lot of people are not down for no. just just I conversation. Think, <laughs> that's true. But there are a lot that are. I think there are more of us that are. It's identifying them and like keeping them exactly. in the loop in the way that we can. And I think that that I feel like these it's hard because it does seem like sometimes all the most challenging ones kind of surface first. <laughs> yeah. I think we're into a new phase. Yeah, no, but it's not easy work. It's, I mean, no, it's, and it's been an work. honor to be part of this work and many have, many come and go, but the ones that have stayed, I'm just honored to be working with them and to really savor these relationships and all of us continuing to contribute in deep ways that are needed. You know, now this machine runs with all of us. There's no way. At one point I did it all. What the heck? That's not even sustainable. It's not even realistic, you know? But uh, now everybody has something to bring to the table. And I love that, you know, and I've been talking about that horizontal leadership. It's needed. You know, these models are needed. Uh, we already have a lot of trauma, a lot of things to deal with. And 
Um, me too, based on, I don't want to put names out there. I had some incredible mentors, but that was tough, you know, in many ways too. Yeah. So I learned from that and how do I take what I love and also take what I didn't like? Like, I will not do that. Learn, I learn and move on. And we don't, we don't have people say, you know, what's future and what's that. We, it's not like we b- blindly go. We look, we'll look at the next five years and we'll say, so what are we working towards and what are the goals and what do we think? But it's always in communication and we don't ever like, we don't put the cart before the horse. We don't bite off more than we can chew. I don't know. There's gotta be another cliche we throw in there. It, it is because, but I think that's because of all this, that's the longevity part because we had to learn the hard way what we can't do. We've had to say no. We've had to oh, yeah. screw up. We've had to, you know, make our mistakes and, and, you know, but one day at a time, uh, but keep the eye to the next five years. <laughs> I love that. Right. Well, uh, I feel like that is a, a wonderful note to end on. Thank you both so much for sharing and for all of the work that you do. We'll, we'll definitely be keeping our listeners updated with ways that they can support your work. And thank you. Thank you for thank inviting you us. And yeah. thank Melissa for, for introducing us. And this, is, I will, I really can't no. get over how many connections just happened during this talk where I was like, Oh, and, uh, and, uh. Uh, we all know each other. I know. Oh, well. I know. To even hear that you're from here, Kearney, um, we'll be in touch because there's ways to always like, it's all about energy and people and, we're going to be in touch. We'll let you know as to our next events and things that we're doing in LA. And, and we'll I let you know about our classes, our dance classes. You should come with Monica one day. We're going to dance Come together. to a Friday night house dance class. I'm yes. really good. You'll be amazing. It'll be fun. I love dancing. But also, oh, yeah. I would I love Versus Style. I, at the time, I had wanted to bring everyone uh, to, uh, for, what is the name of the play again? You, you shortened it. Well, you, you ladies shorten and it? gentlemen of colors. Ladies and gentlemen of colors, for sure. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen of color. Um, that uh, I would love. Are you guys doing it again? What's this? What's going on with that? Yeah, we're we're figuring out our next steps now, but we'll okay. we'll definitely be keeping everyone in the ISC community updated. Great, great. You guys we'll start. You, you have my email yeah. now, so yes. and start following them. Yeah, start I want to even follow you and all that. So we'll be in touch. All right, you guys are the best. Well, Thanks. thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Love you, Monica. Oof, two incredibly inspiring ladies. To support Versus Style, go to versusstyledance.org and follow them on social media at versusstyle_la, and that's V E R. S-A style L-A. You'd recognize our next guest from the Griffith Park Free Shakespeare Festival and ISC's digital immersive production, The Last Syllable. Lavelle LaKeegan shares her unexpected journey into arts education and explains how she communicates the parallels between theater making and sports to her students. Thank you. Thank you so, so much, Lavelle, for joining me and for taking the time to share some of your wisdom as an artist <laughs> and educator with us. If you want to call it that, yeah. Hey, <laughs> listen, we all have a lot that we can share with others. Yeah. So I wanted to start out by just asking you to introduce yourself to our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work. Right. and your time with ISC? I met 
David and Melissa back in 2009. And the reason I met them, the only reason I met them was because of Erwin, Erwin Twazon, who was, is a company member. And I was dating him, ended up marrying him, and we have two kids now. So I was introduced to them in 2009. I know. <laughs> so that's a while ago. So 2009, and they were in Barnstall Park still, and they did The Tempest and Henry V. And then the next year, they moved to Griffith Park, and they did Much Ado and Othello. And then the next year, 2011, at the urging of my husband, I found out that they were doing a what do you call a benefit performance of Midsummer, And he's like, go email Melissa. You never know if she needs somebody. He was already casting it, I believe, as a mechanical. And I said, I don't know. I don't really know her. She doesn't know me. I'm like, why would she want to hire me? And so I did. I took a risk because I wasn't really, I was scared to, but I did it anyway. And I emailed, I said, hey, Melissa, do you need some fairies? As like a half joke, not thinking that she would even email me back. And she uh, said, sounds like Melissa. <laughs> yeah. She's like, can you move and do you sing? I said, I love to move and I'm very shy about my singing, but I will do it. Right. <laughs> and so, and that was the beginning of my journey with ISC. And that was 2011. I believe that year we did Merry Wives and Love's Labor's Lost and Hamlet. And I was able to do Merry Wives and Love's Labor's Lost. So from 2011 to, what is it now, 2023, it's been on and off. Nice. That's my history with them. And then you were most recently in The Last Syllable, which the was fantastic. And I think that I was a journey. It's still on or will still be online at the time. Yeah, I think some of my students, uh, they're, I tell them not to look like, stop looking me up. You're not going to ah! find anything. But I have K through six, and it started with the fourth graders. But it's like, Ms. Keegan, do you act? And I said, I'm your theater. Yes, yes, I do act. <laughs> and they said, oh, so that's you? And they're showing me what they found. And I thought, oh, my gosh, yes. And that's me. They're like, what's the last syllable? Um, <laughs> yeah, I have to take them through that ISC journey. Um, that age. Yeah. That I know there's very and they're always on the computer all right? in your business <laughs> <laughs> yes all in my business um, oh. but it's better for them being aloof from me it's better for them to ask me questions and want to get to know me better I think oh yeah maybe I'm, doing, maybe I'm doing something right with them but it's tough and you said you were working with elementary students the K through six is really tough because I yeah, never know really who know. I'm going to get to today, right? Grab bag, so. for sure. Especially, I find the most challenging group that I teach is middle school. It's that yes. like, because it is, they are in a in a moment. There's all They're kinds in of lots of moments. hormones and, and feelings. And my sweet spot that I found while working on a winter showcase is fourth grade fourth grade is the sweetest because they're not at that point with as the fifth graders and sixth graders where they feel like they have to be cool uh, they still allow most of them allow themselves to be themselves um but the fifth and sixth graders uh, that's tough it is a challenge really and then when they get to high school they they kind of return to but they're more like <laughs> 
They're more like, you know, like adults. Yeah. Not adults, but they're like, hey, let's have conversations. And I want to like. Yeah. And you would hope that they would do that. Yeah. Yeah. Middle school is always tough for the yeah. upper elementary school. And then the little, little ones are just very free. And that's another story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, can you tell us a bit about your your journey as as a teaching artist, from artist to teaching artist, how you got involved as an educator? Because I find that so many of us in the arts are also educators and also do like teaching, whether it's in school or after school programming or enrichment programming. A lot of us love doing that. So I would love to hear more about your journey and, and your maybe your methodology with the youth, <laughs> all that good stuff. <laughs> I never saw myself as an educator ever because I I really did not see myself on that path because I thought I don't know what I have to offer. Like I'm not an expert on Shakespeare. I'm not an expert on singing. I'm not an expert on this and that, right? Um, but working with ISC, Melissa every now and then would ask me to go out to schools, whether it would be with like Erica Soto or Nikhil or Erwin or Andre oh, yeah. or Aisha, like oh. we, who like started together at Griffith Park, we, we were sent out to these different schools to do. It. And I thought, oh, wow, this is really fun to do mm. and to, to kind of open up. But then I still didn't think of myself as an educator because it would always be maybe somebody else taking the reins. Mm. So I thought, okay, the one person that would always kind of gear me towards that was my mom weirdly like she would think like you would be a great teacher and I I don't know I really don't know <laughs> and then my husband like this job posting for this elementary school came up and it was sent to me by a former student in the district who was a girl that I ended up casting in a, an adaptation of Midsummer Night's Dream hmm. and she said, hey, are you looking for a job? And they're looking for a, a theater teacher. And I thought, what? And Erwin said, write down all the things that you wish children knew about the theater, about the theater that you want to create. Ooh. And then, yeah. And funny I enough. That. I love that. Ooh. And he knows how to push my buttons. And he knows how to push my, and he's the one that believes in me the most. And I said, I have nothing. And he said, write that list down. He's like, you're always talking about how you wish they knew this or they knew that. And so I did. And I ended up ironically inspiring myself with this list. And I mm -hmm. thought, maybe mm -hmm. I could. And he said, let's write to the principal. And he said, you know what? Share about your basketball. You're always talking about how Basketball, okay, basketball and go together. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Athlete. <laughs> because the parallels of teamwork. The parallels yeah. of you may not like the people you work with, but you have a common goal. Mm, yes. Detail, right? Detail work. Teamwork and ensemble. It, they're very good parallels. They're married. Because it's like yeah. it's like, are you on a sports team? When I try to explain ensemble to youth, it's yep. like well, that's that's an ensemble. It's a collective of people working towards a common goal. Exactly. And because I came into theater later in my life because I was painfully shy. Wow. Um, and I 
the only place I felt confident was basketball. And I'm so great. And I still play a little bit. I'm so grateful for that because I see it. Basketball and theater and these kids, because I get people that are athletes here, you know, like kids that are athletes and they are like, what, what are you talking about? And when I start introduce them, like the big thing is teamwork and focus and mm. they don't, right? And storytelling. Mm. And they're like, what? Sports and storytelling? I was like, did you see the last dance? Did you see that documentary? Have you even followed the journey of Kobe Bryant? You know, because Kobe yes. is a player. And so I'm, I'm like, there's a story. Yeah, there. I mean, I have like this pit, right? But there's stories okay. there to be told. Yes. And essentially, that's what theater is, right? It's storytelling. And it's communicating. And it's engaging. And it's critical thinking. And if you think about it, you use that in sports as well. So I hope to, like, you know, kind of instill that in these kids because they haven't been introduced to theater and they think it's, oh, it's fluffy and it's all, oh, blah, 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 and like, oh, this and talking like and it's not. <laughs> and so the principal, I guess, read that letter and said, I want to meet you. And I thought, okay, let me be transparent. I don't have a teaching credential and I only have my BA. And he said, this is a special a position with the district that you would be hired as a professional expert theater arts. I said, professional. Well, I was like, yeah, I've done some professional stuff. Sure, we can call myself that. Yeah. So they they did offer me the job on the spot. Um, wow. They interviewed, um, and I said, listen, I know your history. I know that you guys think that theater is only musical theater. I come from a classical background. I am not a music teacher. I am not a show choir teacher. I am not a dancer. I love to dance, you know, hey, dance floor yeah. <laughs> at a wedding, but uh, <laughs> telling me to choreograph something, no, that's not my bag. But my bag is, I know how dance and music should make me feel. Mm, that's what's most know, important for you. I know what it should look like. I know what a, does that make sense? I, right? Like, I know that. And so he said, I love it. Let's go. And that's how I got this job. I teach K through sixth grade. I teach uh, and special education, which that is another story. Mm. Because yeah, then you have to bring in more. I'm not qualified, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I wish, I wish I could hire somebody to work alongside me that we could devote a day to the primary SDC special day class, and then the upper special day class, because it's from moderate to severe disabilities. And it's not fair. They deserve more than me, honestly. They deserve a teacher that is focused on the theater and working with people with disabilities. Mm. And so that has been a challenge for me because I don't want to ex exclude them. If anything, they should be included in all that we do, but it's the funding or whatever it is, is just, it's not working together yet. And I did. Uh, it's I always I the challenge the power. of education. Yeah. Like we never, I feel like we never have enough. No. And <laughs> we you never have to, like all of the resources we could or all of the time that we could or all of the support that we could it's always there's always some sort of obstacles and that's kind of unfortunately at the core of being yeah. 
educator. And it's money, right? It's funding. And I thought. Especially Mm -hmm. arts education. Oh, my goodness. Well, they wanted, I, I found out they wanted to get rid of this position. There is a pro, an arts program at my school, and they are a nonprofit headed by parents of the school. And one person told me that they did want to get rid of my position, but she said that she fought really hard for it. Mm. And so, yes. I mean, thank Jesus that she did fight for it because I wouldn't people, have a position. Yeah. It's those people who fight. Yeah, so I got really lucky and. They try everything in their power to, you know, help me out if I need help with costumes. We For Halloween, the sixth graders did a version of Thriller. Um, and for the winter showcase, they, I said, listen, this is what I would love my set to look like. This is what I need the kids to wear. Can we make that happen? And they were able to make it happen and to help me on the day corral almost 800 kids to do a performance. <laughs> Yeah. I have about 760 and I keep getting new students as the winter, as winter break. I keep getting maybe one or two students a week. So, yeah. And I have to know their face and their name and who they are. So it's fun. <laughs> it's a challenge, but a lot of, that at is, least it gets my brain working. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I would, I would love to see eight. 800 kids coordinated. You know what? I, I'll send you, send me your, oh, I'll send it to your email. I'll send you the winter showcase. You could take a look at that. I definitely want to see that. And give me your well, honest opinion. The, the showcase Melissa was talking about where she oh was. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. She was live. She was live messaging to me as she was watching. I was like, are you watching at the same time you're messaging? Oh. So it's nice to have her support. She is somebody that really pushes me as well. And it's annoying. She's like, do you want to direct? I said, no. Why would I want to direct, Melissa? She's like, because I think you'd be really good at it. I said, no, I'd be awful. But she always, yeah, she's really trying to get me to direct. And I keep. One day, one day she'll she'll get you. One day she'll get me. (laughs) But that's really really my journey believe in everyone like yeah. believe in folks and and recognize uh, yeah. abilities and capability even when we're like can i okay yeah yeah props to melissa charles we love you melissa <laughs> so that. that's awesome well the the last thing i wanted to ask you is if you had any like a, a particular example or moment that's happened in your time as an educator that that really stays with you? Because I know there's so, there's so many. I know for me, yeah. I'm always like, there's this one and this one and this one. But sometimes I there are those little two things keep with you. From Ooh. like the top of my head. So I'm very hard on my students. Uh, because my goal isn't to make you love performing. It'd be nice if you had an appreciation for any kind of art. That would be great. But my goal is that you leave my class better than when you came in. Um, I really, really focus on hard work, teamwork, uh, that anybody has the capability to be creative, right? That we can all work together and story. Storytelling is not just about talking. It's about engaging in community and asking questions and, and um, critical thinking. 
right? Trying to get to the deeper marrow part of, of hopefully us as a society. So I'm trying to, and I'm hard. I really am hard on them to the point where I'm like, dang, I'm really mean. <laughs> but Christmas time or, you know, the holidays came. And right before I left, all these students wrote these letters to me. And they're like, you're my favorite. And it shocks me because I'm very tough. I don't take any BS. I don't I play around. That. Those you know are what the I mean? And I'm disciplined. Yeah, I am disciplined. I tell people, you, I'm like, you're laughing? Get out of my class. Ooh. We, we can't trust you. Yeah. We can't trust you. You are not in this performance. Get out. And that's me. Because I have to throw my whole self. I can't hide myself in this job. That's why I laid it on the line to my principal. I'm like, this is who I am. This is how I teach. If you want me. Mm. They will leave my class. It's a contract when you're in my class. Oh, yes. And so for students <laughs> to say that they want me to come back for next year when I said, I don't know if I'm coming back. I don't know if I want to come back and teach you lazy kids. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, but they I'm want that. Hard. They appreciate so it. That's a big thing that has shocked me that who I am is working. <laughs> It's working for kids and I want to change the world. And how can we change the world through children? Because they're the future. They're right. the ones that get to vote. They're the ones that need their voices to be heard, right? We all, what was it? Meghan Markle said this. You don't need to find your voice. You have it. You just need permission to use it. And for some people learn how to use it. That's right. So for these kids to say that they love coming to my class, even though I'm really strict and disciplined, is a big deal for me to hear because I want to give up a lot of the time. Mm. And then another thing is the winter showcase. I told my students, if you go on this journey with me, if you trust me, I promise you, you're going to shine. I promise you that nobody is going to go up to you and say that, oh, how cute, how adorable. You're going to leave those people with tears in their eyes and inspired if you trust me. Mm. And where we're going with these songs. Because I had no uh, holiday music. I had songs like um, the Arthur theme song, Believe in Yourself. I had Count on Me. I had A Million Dreams. And it all had a theme about the holiday spirit, but the values and virtues that I teach in my class. And that's the message I wanted them to convey to the parents and to the teachers and to the community here when they did their show. And a lot of parents came up to myself and my husband because he he did all the sound for me Ooh. and not one of them said the kids were cute i had some parents that came up to us like how did you get that out of our kid i was like they just needed a place where they felt safe and it's hard to feel safe and to be yourself and i said that's all they need it's, i don't even know if it's me you know, they just enter my class and I said, this is the place that you can make mistakes and be who you are. This is a place where the only failure is not trying. And then I would get letters forwarded from the principal. There are parents that would write to the principal and one was forwarded to me and a dad said that he didn't know that his heart needed the winter showcase. Ooh. And so it's the reaction or it's the yeah it's the reaction of the parents 
that has also surprised and shocked me that there is an impact that is getting through to some students. I had one dad, another dad. It's weird because it's usually moms, right? I love I these dads. These dads. A well, dad came up to me. He's like, I have three sons. And I was like, yeah, it's Aiden, Owen, and Evan, right? And he's like, you know them. I said, yeah, I know all of the kids. <laughs> because I make it my job to know them. And he said, they never practice, ever. He's like, but they practice the stuff that you give them. And so I said, well, because I told them that practice, no matter how many minutes you practice a day, it gets you further than the person that's just sitting on their talent, right? I said, yes, I love talent. I care about talent. But if I have a person that's working hard, every day, even if it's just for five minutes, you're gonna leave that person who's super talented here if they're not working and you're gonna reach for the moon. And sometimes we're gonna fail, but that should not stop us from reaching for it. So the reaction of the parents has been really big for me because that means I'm reaching somebody, I think. I, I love that so much because I think so often, not just in school, but even in the arts and in arts programming, we become, or the people who are beholden to the institutions, the funders, right. the, you know, all of these other folks become so focused exactly. on end product, on yep. numbers. And on that's important too. It, it but, is. It's good to know that the students are learning something, but I always say, mm -hmm. like, I, I value the process over the product. So it's really like knowing, like, it's okay. There, there's, yeah. it's, it's good if maybe you don't necessarily get everything exactly. perfect or everything right, but it's about learning. It's about growth. It's about starting that journey and opening yourself up to something that honestly takes a lot of bravery that a lot of adults yeah. aren't even brave enough to put themselves out there like that. I tell my students, and even in the winter showcase, I didn't do any speaking. I wanted all everything to come from the kids. So I wrote this script for them. And I said, the last thing that we say is the journey is the dream. You have all these little tiny dreams that'll get you beyond, I have a class coming in, beyond what you could ever do. And so if you just continually work, 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 work for that and realize that your journey is the dream, then that hard work is nothing. That dream that you had, that big dream that you had will be bigger than what you ever envisioned for yourself, right? Because it is about the process. It is about reinforcing hard work and working every day. If you don't work every day, where are you going to be left? You can't just sit on your laurels. In my class, they know they're, if they did an excellent winter showcase, but you don't just stay there. Now, what are we going to do next? I hold yes. a postmortem. What can next? we do to get better? What's next? But I have a class. Ernie, I'm sorry. I know. <laughs> I love that one. I hear the I hear the youth coming in. Thank yeah. you so much for literally taking your break time to to thank you for having me interview and for everything yeah. you've shared and your wisdom i honestly like as as a fellow arts educator would like to just talk to you even more about this in the future so hopefully Let's do it yeah do that again have a wonderful class 
For those of us who were blessed enough to have a theater teacher like Lavelle, or Mr. Jack Friss, or Miss Elizabeth Dennehy, or Saver Williams, there are unfortunately many other students who don't have access to arts education, and consequently, a life-changing educator. Caitlin Lanoff is trying to change just that. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. Independent Shakespeare Company has such a important place in my heart and in my work. And so I'm, I'm so glad to be here and to join you in this space. Um, so my work with Independent Shakespeare Company started in 2014. Um, and uh, they were sort of at this point where they were transitioning. They were in the park and they were really transitioning into some larger scale scenic designs opportunities. And so um, Melissa and I had worked together at CSUN and um, our collaboration is just so lovely and um, fulfilling and uh, just really, you know, sort of the collaboration that you're looking for when you're in theater and you're trying to find collaborators. And so when she asked if I'd be interested in doing uh, Shakespeare in the Park, I jumped on the opportunity. And I think that we worked together for the following like six or seven years. I mean, we, we, we're still collaborators. So, but um, but it was a it was definitely um, a series of summers, and it's just such an amazing company and amazing space and amazing audience. And so every year was just an exciting challenge to see like what new we could do, what surprises we could bring into the park, and you know how we could really activate that space so that audiences felt like they were you know, not only in a beautiful environment, but they were transported um, with the show as well. Yes. Like even last year, helping us out with our, our giant, our, yeah. for those who saw Night of the Burning Pestle, there was a giant. That was a good was puppet. A moment, and we have you to thank for that. Yeah, for it was a tree workshop and all that. Real good puppet. Yeah, it was such a nice space. And that's, I mean, that's sort of the unifying theme with Independent Shakespeare Company is that I just, I feel so lucky to be included in that, in that um, ensemble because everybody they find to, to work with them, I just, it's like such a joy to get to know the actors and get to know the other people involved in the space. I just, it's such a, such a great opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, we, we love having you and uh, your work, your work is incredible. So it's, it's a privilege to know you as well. Thank you. Ditto. Yeah. yeah. And so this episode is focused on arts education and access. And another really incredible thing that you do is you work with Create California. So I would love for you to just tell us a little bit about what brought you into that work and what that work entails. I, I know I've used a lot of the toolkits and, and graphics and things even um, on our independent Shakespeare company accounts and, and shared that information and your advocacy is incredible. So if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I'm so glad that you're finding the resources helpful because that's really, you know, the movement that we're building. Um, so yeah, so you know, as I was designing, as I've been, you know, I've been designing for the last, a long time, we'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> I was also teaching simultaneously, and I just found that the communities that were able to hire me as an art teacher, either after school or in school, became really homogenous, and that the schools that were more under-resourced and underserved, I was 
seeing like 50 students at a time back to back to back to back to back. And that would be the only arts programming that there was, that they were being offered in their day. Mm. And so it was these simultaneous things happening where, you know, I was, I was teaching, I love teaching. And yet I like, I, I just wasn't connecting to the communities. I was seeing this in, incredible inequities that in the schools that I was visiting and working with. And the turning point for me was I was working at Plaza de la Raza and our funding got cut. And I had been with that program for five years at that point, six years at that point, and the kids were devastated and I was devastated and like there was tears and it was just such a immediate loss. And I recognized that schools across California were going to the same thing or worse, never even had access, right? They weren't even having access to those arts programs. And so when I discovered the Rooker Creek California, which is formerly the California Alliance for Arts Education, which we're super glad that was simplified. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a little bit of a mouthful. Just a lot to say. Um, you know, it just it just really it just really sort of brought everything together. Um, so fighting, you know, Create California fights for equal uh, equitable access to arts education in California public schools, and my work has really evolved over the past five years to focus on student voice. Because I just feel like if we're talking about education, we're involved in education reform, then students need to be in that process. They need to be using their voice about what they want to see, what they want, as opposed to what we think that they need, right? So um, over the past couple of years, um, you know, Create California has really been working to develop our youth engagement opportunities. And so what started out as um, an arts competition where students were submitting artwork and then a message to their school board members, which we would then connect. And that was oftentimes the first time that they, um, you know, technically advocated. I, you know, the thing that we try to encourage people to, to realize is that advocacy happens all the time. You, you know, you advocate when your yes. coffee order is wrong. You advocate when someone cuts you off in line and you want to correct yes. them right it's, it's every little bit. And so advocacy with a capital A sometimes feels like this really overwhelming thing that like I, I can't do, right? Like I don't know how to do it. But in reality, the thing that we try to encourage students and everybody to realize is that like advocacy is, is just sort of operating in this world, right? Um, and so we've been really working to create these programs where students get paid to advocate, to learn um, how to you know, succeed in the ways that they want to. So, you know, again, we're not trying to just provide training that they that we think they need. They really go into the work that they want to do. And we try to find experts in that field to come and talk with them and develop the work so that, you know, this program is, yes, they're, at, they're advocating for arts education, but they're also building those tools and resources that will carry them through, through, through life, right, to, to succeed in other advocacy avenues. And hopefully they'll continue advocating for arts education because that's something we feel is fundamentally important to us as humans. You know, it's the thing that sort of keeps us going every day. Um, yeah, so that was that was a lot. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, that's, that is critical important work as someone who's also an arts educator. It's, it made me so sad because you mentioned Plaza de la Raza and I actually had a program this year that was supposed to happen there. And then it ended up getting cut through one of my organizations. So we had to go to a different um, school, but it's just, it's frustrating because we know that there are a lot of 
these um, schools and institutions and, and community spaces that really need this arts access. And it's frustrating that it has to come from outside nonprofit organizations. It's not something that is really part it's it's technically supposed to be part of the curriculum Correct. arts is in california arts is supposed to be part of the curriculum but it's in my experience even when i was younger you you would see it get cut or things that uh, couldn't happen after school and had to happen in school because of budget cuts and um lack of funding for after school supervision and programming. And it, it really does have an impact because if I didn't have access to the programs that I did when I was at that age, I know I, I wouldn't be where I am. I wouldn't have the experience. I, I wouldn't have that, that, that artistic bug that I do or, and it wouldn't have been nurtured the way that it was. Yeah. Even the way that it was for me going to public school here and still encountering situations where arts were cut. Absolutely, because arts are often the first thing that gets cut because they're think they, they're thought of as a nice to have, mm -hmm. not the glue that holds everything together, right? Yeah. Like we 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 there's there's so much documented research about the importance of arts education, not just for people who want to go into the arts as a career, but really just to be thinkers. And we say creative thinkers, but I think that's, that's not even you know, like it's just that's the that's the glue. Be good, you know, people art art really does nurture like empathy, confidence, confidence in a ability depending on on the arts to like theater when I'm teaching theater classes. I'm like, you don't need to want to be an actor, but it's yes. good to have the confidence and be able to get up and, and advocate for yourself and, and speak in front of others and to not be as nervous as we are. I always try to share with like the youth that I teach. It's so Absolutely. important in so Absolutely. many ways. It, it just yes. makes you a well-rounded human being when you yes. have arts in your life. Yeah. Problem solving, collaboration, like these are all things that employees look for in any job. And mm -hmm. math isn't going to give you that, right? The not, no. not, not throwing shade on math, but like that's the art, <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. No cool. shade to math. No shade to yeah, math. Not really the most um, collaborative yeah. class. I yeah. guess I'm not, maybe if you're working with someone on something. Yeah, but probably yeah, at a not, certain level. Not, not, not the, the core. Yeah. yeah. We love our, our humanities. And math and science, that's, that's all important too. But Absolutely. humanities is, is often seen as not quote unquote necessary. And it is. Yeah. But I also did want to highlight what you just said because it, the arts are in the ed code. Right. Like that's, yep. that's the thing is that they are written in to have all four major arts in the, your school day. And, and that does not happen. And that doesn't happen. And if you I were don't in understand. Yeah. Like that's something I still to this day, I just don't understand how it is in the code. It is supposed to be in our schools and it just isn't. Yeah. There's no reinforcement, right? Because also, if you are in a community that thinks that the arts translates to a career in the arts, and you're you're scared, like you're scared, right? Like you don't want your kid to be that sort of trope of the starving artist, which we know is faulty in itself, right? But it's yeah. true, you know. So, you know, a lot of parents don't realize that like theater can help with language understanding, retention, comprehension, right? Like all of these pieces 
um, that all these problems or challenges that schools are trying to solve, the arts can really meet that, right? Mental health struggles, like all of these things provide the space and opportunity for students to be creative, to identify with themselves and their core, right? Like that, those are the opportunities that get lost. Yeah. And we know that those are the, you know, those are being excluded from the communities that could benefit the most from those spaces. Yeah. yeah. So that is the work that we do and the importance of Prop 28. Yes. Very exciting. Do you want to yeah. just share a little bit about, for those who maybe are unfamiliar with Prop 28, lots of incredible advocacy around that. That was some of the, um, those were some of the graphics we shared as well from you all about Prop 28. Awesome. Yeah. So um, California Proposition 28, which is the art and music K through 12 education funding initiative passed last year with resounding votes. People were Woo! super into it. Um, so that's, I think, really important to note that given the opportunity, voters will vote in support of the arts. Um, but it's going to bring an estimated $1 billion to the arts in public schools, which Ooh. is unheard of. Yeah. And so, you know, this will provide an opportunity for schools to really hone in on what arts are providing, what opportunities they can provide with this funding, because it's dedicated funding and it, it's, it's ongoing. It's not yearly. They don't have to find a solution right now. They have three years to spend down their, their initial funding. Um, but it's really going to provide schools an opportunity and a challenge to sort of create solutions for the arts in their schools. So yeah. it's very exciting. Um, we're currently... Right now, there's a lot of questions out there. How this happens? What does this mean for teaching artists? How, what it, how is it implemented? How's it in implemented? And what's the accountability involved in that, right? Like there's all kinds of, we obviously don't want to see this funding sort of um, perpetuating these already sort of faulty systems, right? We want this, we, we want to see, make sure that this is going where it's supposed to be going and the students are getting what they're supposed to be getting. And so we're really in the process of developing a toolkit and resources for communities and schools and administrators to figure out how to use this funding. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So that will that's be coming great. up. That's definitely needed. Yeah. I love and that because it's not just like, okay, this passed, we're done. It's yeah. no, no, we got to make sure that now that this is passed, the work really begins. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm out of a job. No, <laughs> which is like, that's. That's great, right? Like that's the that's the that's the hope of nonprofits is that yes, my job is no longer necessary. Um, but yeah, so in that will be sort of a community engagement piece because um, right now I think a lot of people are like, okay, great, it passed. Nobody knows what we're do how it's happening. And as advocates, like, what do I do, right? So we're sort of in this holding point, and I'm just acknowledging that. And the thing that I always or the other things I've been trying to say to the students I work with is like now is our now is your time for your vision right like we have this amazing opportunity where there's this new bucket of money that's like just for this like how do you want to see this spent mm. and your role now is to communicate that vision to any administrator that will listen so that when they are faced with the like they're, they're like the go time, like, oh my gosh, we have this money. What do we do? Oh, hey, I heard from these students that this is what they're interested in. Or I heard from these parents, this is what they're, they're interested in seeing, right? And that's where community engagement is key because otherwise administrators are going to be making decisions, 
you know, doing the best they can for what, how they think that money should be spent. But it's really important that they get, you know, community input during that process as well. Before we let you go, are there any ways that our listeners, the ISC family, all of us, that we can support the work that's happening? Are there any new action items, any new legislation, any ways people can maybe donate? Yeah, thank you so much for asking. I mean... The main thing we recommend at this point is to um, is to subscribe to the newsletter. So that's at our website, createca.org. Um, and then there's a number of avenues um, for engagement from there. So the newsletter will provide, you know, sort of like updates on Prop 28, where it is, um, where the where the toolkits, you know, how's that going along? Um, the other thing that we're working on right now is we just had a massive election and um, we had a bunch of school board members um, come into office. And so we actually have a tool on there that lets you connect directly with your school board leaders. Ooh. So, yeah. So when that's up and running, it should be soon, um, updated with the, with the newly elected, that's a really simple, um, action that people can take that it automates a letter that's well will be um you know focused around prop 28 and the, the use of the arts funding and that will then just send it to all of the members on your on your local school board so that's a really great thing to do and then if you're a student we have many opportunities for engagement um we have this arts challenge which i mentioned our applications for student voices leaders which is the paid leadership development program will be opening in july so also something you can get from our newsletter and we have a program for student voices advocates. So those are people who um, really want to stay engaged and get calls to action um, in a timely fashion. But that's a student-centered space as well. So all things you can find on our website. Thank you so much for taking the time to share all of that with us and for all of the work that you do. You're someone who really like embodies the arts in everything. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just, I'm so glad to sit in space with you and have this conversation and I can't wait to hear the episode. Support Create CA by going to createca.org and follow them on social media at create underscore CA. Thank you so much for listening to Community Action Update. To see ISC social justice initiatives, head to iscla.org justice where you can also find links and information about the individuals and organizations featured in today's episode. Be sure to also follow us on social media at IndieShakes. Are there individuals, organizations, or causes in our community you want featured on our Community Action Update? Email me, kareny at iscla.org, and that's kareny, C-A-R-E-N-E, at iscla.org, and I will add it to my list. Be sure to get your tickets for Private Lives in the ISC Studio, which runs from April 6th to May 7th. Tickets go on sale for our annual fundraising gala, A Midsummer Saturday Night's Fever Dream, on April 13th, so save the date for that as well. Until then, stay safe, my fellow Angelinos.